Good morning. If you have your Bibles, please open to Acts 19. Please open to Acts chapter 19. We will continue in our reading of our study of Acts. We've been doing this consecutively for quite some time. And we find ourselves in Acts 19, verse 20, um, 25. We're going to be focusing, but I'll start from verse 21 and I'll finish all the way to 41. But we'll be focusing on verses 25 to the end of chapter 19. The Word of God reads, Now after these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia, and to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way, and the way referring to Jesus. Notice that in some of your translations, it's a capital W, referring to Jesus. Um, he's the way, the truth, and the life. Right? So, for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, and some of your Bibles may have Diana, just the Roman name of Artemis, okay, same goddess, um, silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. Verse 27. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, who were friends of his, sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But they recognized that he was a Jew. For about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, Who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis, and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are, procon- and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, 
it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really, for we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you. Thank you that you are holy and just as scary as that is. But for those that are in Christ, we don't fear. Because we know that this holy and just God made a way through his son. And it is he today, Lord, the Lord Jesus, that we want to lift up through your word. Help me to land on him. Help me to point hearts to him through your word. And I pray, Father, that you would be glorified as we heard and we sung this morning. And we, on this side of heaven, will never truly grasp. It means that you truly are the Lord of all. That you are the Lord of all, author of salvation. And Lord, here you have your children gathered here this morning. Through the Holy Spirit, point them to you once again. Remind them of the gospel. Remind them of their Savior. And may you be honored and glorified. That is my only prayer. That Christ would be exalted. Not just from this pulpit, but in every heart that is listening here this morning. And it is in his precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen. As we've been studying Acts, we have seen many themes uh, throughout Acts. Right? We've been seeing Jesus. Hopefully, <laughs> we've been seeing how Jesus has been uh, proclaimed. People are turning away. We just heard about it this morning. We just read about it, how people are turning away, right, from these idols that are made with hands. Paul is making every attempt, every effort. doesn't matter where he's going. He is preaching Christ. That, that's undeniable. We read not too long ago how people were burning their books, right? The witchcraft, all the sorcery. I mean, people are just burning them because they're turning to Christ. So we're seeing Christ in the Scriptures. We're seeing the Holy Spirit. We're seeing the Holy Spirit at work. Working through the disciples. Turning heart, people's hearts from their idols. Turning from themselves and turning them to Christ. We've been looking at faith. What does faith look like? At what point does faith come in? When are we regenerated? When are hearts may turn from this, these hearts of stone into these hearts of flesh? Now to be ready and, and, and to receive Christ as Lord and as Savior. Miracles, demonic activity, unity. Another big one. We, seeing, we are seeing how these disciples are all working together in unison toward the same gospel. There's no division. There's no, uh, hey, you know, this is about me. The worst we can see is John Mark and, and when, when Paul and John Mark split. But even then, we, we, we've already addressed that. We're seeing a unified group surrounded Surrounding the gospel and proclaiming the gospel together. Faithfulness. Faithfulness throughout ministry, right? Um, people, they don't know. They, don't, they, weren't, they weren't theological seminaries, beloved. There weren't people that went and, and had letters after their names because they had a, uh, you know, a, 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 mini, a master's in divinity. These are people like you and I that the Lord had called to serve and were doing so faithfully. That's all we're seeing. Right? Conversions, evangelism. But then we come to this one. Idolatry once again. Our favorite subject, right? I know for, us, for many of us it's not because, guess what? We all have idols. 
idolatry is not something that you and I are unfamiliar with. I don't suspect that anyone here, even you little kids, have idols. You just came out of the season of Christmas, right? And Christmas and, you know, all your things and all these toys. And those are the same thing, you know, the next iPhone, what's the next gadget? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gadgety person. That's one of my downfalls. I, I love gadgets and, you know, they do facilitate life, but they also make life uh, hard. But that, that's, that's where we're at, right? What's the next thing? What's, when's, the, when's the Rivian coming out? And is Tesla going to come out with the next Cybertruck? You know, when are we going to get that? And, and there's always something around the corner that our hearts are constantly looking toward. Our hearts are looking to find uh, their, their, their sufficiency in, right? Uh, their purpose in, whether it's a home, car, etc. And we're going to look at that here closely. I mean, John Calvin, as you've heard that quote many times, right? Uh, the, the human proclivity of our hearts that are idle factories. You've heard that quote before. I've mentioned it. That's all we are. You and I just consistently and constantly produce idols, ready to worship and bow down before them. And none of you and none of us need to go to school to learn how to make idols. None of us. All of you know what that looks like. Ever since you're a child, right? And this is mine. I will not share. This is my toy. Forget you. I'm at the center of the world, right? This is what they teach you in education, uh, early on, early education. Chloe doesn't need training in that, does she? (laughs) Emily didn't need that. I didn't need that. Because that's who we are. We're at the center of the universe. And this is our predisposition. If, If we could get a PhD in idolatry, all of you would have one. All of us, without exception, would have one. Because that's who we are. And, oh, yes, but that's who I was before, right? I'm, I'm no longer that way. I, ah, maybe I have my little idols here or there, but, you know, nothing big, you know. The church, love it. The church has enabled much of the idolatry that we've seen today in the church. Just look around. Enable people, celebrity pastors, through conferences. These people that we just simply without question, just look to and, and bow down to, right? I mean, Edwin preached on it not too long ago, right, about your allegiance in Thessalonians. Right? If anyone, if any pastor tells you, hey, provide your allegiance to me, you know, your loyalty to me, you better run, right? But people aren't running because we don't question. We don't think. We don't, we're not in our Bibles. We're not in our words. And we just simply take people, uh, pastors and leaders for what they are. And then they're burned. Because their idols come crashing down, right? Because when you t- remove that idol, now you're exposed. Where is your heart? Where was your heart to begin with? And immediately the Lord begins to work. And, that, and that's, so we need to define. So we're not, we're not unfamiliar with idols. We know where they are. And idolatry is nothing that's very complex in, 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 in terms of definition. It's just simply the worship of idols. Now, Heidelberg Catechism has in question... And the question and answer 95 says, Idolatry is having or inventing something in which one trusts in place of or alongside of the only true God who has revealed himself in his word. That is what idolatry is according to the Heidelberg Catechism. And idolatry is nuanced in many ways. It has many faces. You don't see any crucifix here. You don't see any 
statue of Jesus, right? You don't see any of that up here. And there's a reason for that. But idolatry is nuanced, right? We're not, we're not just talking about I remember when someone first shared with me the gospel, and I was, I'm, I'm a Roman Catholic, right? I'm, I don't worship idols. I, I just pray to Mary, right? I just pray to Mary because Jesus wasn't sufficient, so I would just pray to her, right? Or my archangel, whoever that was, you know, that would help me pass tests. But we all have them. You, know, you don't need to necessarily bow down and prostrate yourself before an idol for it to be an idol. It comes in very different ways. And so we need to understand what is that, what, what is that, how is it nuanced, right? And for us, it's basically who have you replaced God with? What have you replaced God with? That is what it boils down to. Who or what has been removed from the pedestal of your heart and now takes that place that only belongs to God? You've heard it before that we have a whole-shaped heart, right? A God-shaped heart, you know, that hole that... Well, all of us, because we weren't made for this world, we understand that. Our purpose was never to find our fulfillment in the material world. Because you were made for another world. And that's the point that I'm trying to convey. And young kids... Those that are you are young and can understand, know that this is not the totality. I know you're maybe looking to college, looking to career, looking to whatever. But the point is that you can have all of that and you're still going to be left wanting because your heart was never made to be fulfilled by those things. Your heart was made, we were made to be fulfilled by God. Period. Full stop. And that's what we want to look at. So, Idolatry this morning, we're going to be able to look at this in three ways. Idolatry, exposed and challenged. I'm going to look at that in verses 25 through 27. Then we're going to see idolatry that leads to confusion, verses 28 through 34. And finally, what is the ultimate consequence of idolatry, verses 35 to 41? Okay? So let's look at this one here. Idolatry, exposed and challenged. What is the context? The context is that you have these men, these silversmiths that are gathered, right? Uh, Demetrius is gathering these men. Consider kind of, I guess if you were to, were something that we're familiar with, a trade union, right? If you have a trade union, most of you are familiar with unions, maybe not so much down here, but up north, New York, northeast, Chicago, all these areas, Midwest, there, there are a lot of unions out there. And so they're, depending on the certain, uh, on the certain skill that they have, here you have teachers' unions, right? So they have a certain skill. These people are gathering together and they're angry. Demetrius is angry. And he's getting them riled up. Now, why are they angry? That, we have to ask that. Well, what has Paul been doing? Paul has been telling people, do not worship gods. Gods that are made with hands are not gods at all. There's only one living God. Turn to him. That is what Paul has been doing. And he made it to the ears of Demetrius. And so Demetrius is going to get these guys and say, hey, I'm not the only one here. It's not, it's not just affecting me, it's affecting you. How so? Well, there's two implications. One, our trade, our skills, this is what they know. They don't have other skills. They don't have, like, they're not silversmiths and then maybe do X, Y, and Z. They're skilled silversmiths. That's what people go to them for. And they're specifically working here on shrines. So to remove that affects their what? Affects their pocketbook. Once that pocketbook is affected, my friends, now we start shaking, right? Because we don't want that. We, we don't want our pocketbooks to be, uh, pocketbooks to be affected. They don't want to be discredited because that discre- to be 
discredited means no more wealth. So they know what's in sight if they continue, if they don't do anything. And also their goddess Diana, Artemis, right? Might be removed from her place. And if, she's de- and if she is deposed, what else do we have? There goes her income. So it boils down to the same thing. Now, idolatry, that's the context. So idolatry has to be exposed and challenged, and that's exactly what Paul was doing. Paul knew the culture. Just two chapters ago, what we were seeing when Paul was in Athens, his spirit was grieved, right? When he saw all the idolatry that was in, in Athens. Doesn't, that was just two chapters ago. He's confronting, confronted again. But Paul knew exactly what the culture and the community was about. He knew what the times represented. Idolatry, if idolatry, and it is prevalent in every culture, then as a church, we must be informed of those moods. It's still idolatry, but what does it look like? Does idolatry look like it did back in Acts 19? Does idolatry today look the same as it was centuries ago? It's still idolatry, but it changes. It morphs, right? But it's still the same root. You know, one way to be able to do this is go to Twitter. See what's trending. It's an easy way because you start seeing, oh, these are the top 10 tweets right now. This is what's trending. Go to your Instagram account. Go to your TikTok. This is what's trending. And you're going to see what, I highly doubt God is trending. I do not think everyone's, hashtag God. Hashtag come to Jesus. I guarantee you that is not trending. Everything but that is trending. The sneaker convention for you sneakerheads, right? Come, I didn't even know that. I just saw a sign on my way to work the other day, and all of a sudden there's a, you know, there's a, there's a market for sneakers, right? Yeah, those that buy and sell and flip, flip sneakers. But there's a market for that. So the sneakerheads have a convention coming up. Everybody's going to be there. Let me get, let me get the most out of my, my Yeezys, right? Let me flip them. Get some money. But there you are. There, there you are. Um, materialism, again, it's just materialism at the end of the day. And it's not just sneakers. Obviously, it goes to cars, homes, anything that can be there. Boats, Sunday, fun day. I've said that before. Another one, fame and influence. Right? You had to do it for the gram. Now you do it for TikTok. Now you just see people making fools of themselves on the street. You know, putting their little device there on a, on, a, on, a, on a street post because they want to go ahead and dance and, ho- and hopefully their dance will start trending on TikTok. But that's what we go for. That's what we go for. That's what, that's what motivates people. What motivates us? What motivates us? What motivates you? And family, right? Edwin constantly talks about, oh, Facebook and, and that. Nothing wrong with that, but yeah, it's true, Right? We want to present our families as prim and proper. Our families that are perfect. These nice little pictures. These nice little things that everybody, when they look at it, it's like, man, I want it. But they don't know everything that's going on behind the scenes. They don't know the things that, that you see. But you see this nice little picture. Everybody color coordinated. Right? Shirts are matching. They look beautiful in the woods. But, but this is where we live. This is where we live. And little do we know what's happening 
Maybe they got indebted to get to that place. <laughs> to get together. And there's so many things, but idolatry drives so many. And this is our culture, and we have to know where our culture and our times are at, beloved. You will never address idolatry until you yourself take the time to know where idolatry is in your neighborhood, where you live, in your spheres of influence. Yeah, maybe you might be in, in school and it's like, yeah, well, I'm not dealing with people looking for jobs and cars. I'm just in high school. Yeah, but guess what? They also have idols. They're looking for what college are they going to go to because the college must be prestigious. It has to have a big name. I can't just go to Miami-Dade. So we're driven in so many ways, and idolatry has to be challenged. And that's what Paul was doing, but he was doing it informed. And so, so must we be informed. And when idolatry is exposed and challenged, it comes with decisions, beloved. Idolatry comes with decisions. And what do I mean by that? Either you consider the truth of what idolatry is and it, that it's a sin, or you're going to take another decision. I'll get to that in a second. So either address it as sin for what it is and repent, and we know that it's a sin because of God's commandment. Exodus 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Period. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself the carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So either you accept idolatry for what is a sin, repent and believe that Christ paid for your idolatry. And what's fascinating is that He paid for it, not just for your idolatry, for all your sin on the cross. That's what Christ did. That's why He came. That is what we're going to celebrate here in a few moments when we take communion together. That He paid for our sins in full. And what's even more astonishing is that not just did He pay it, but He reconciled us to the very God that we were sinning against. The very one that we were rejecting with our idols. The very one that we had replaced with our idols. Through Christ, in Christ, we are reconciled to that very God. By faith. What God does that? What God says, you sinned against me. And I'm going to forgive you. I will adopt you. I will bring you in by faith if you repent and believe in what my son has done. I don't know of any other God. I'm interested in if you have one. I'm interested in hearing it after church, but there isn't one that I know of. That is the God that we have. So you can acknowledge it, repent and believe, and turn to Christ, or you can double down in your idolatry. You can double down. And what I mean by that is you can go ahead and say, I, don't, I reject that it's sin. I don't think it's idolatry what I'm doing. Okay, fine. And you're going to reject what you're hearing here this morning. And you'll continue going about your merry way. And you're going to continue getting influenced by the culture and by the times, by the spirit of the age. And you're going to continue going. Now, but the result of doubling down, if that's the route that you choose, well... There's inevitable outcomes because of that. And that's my second point. Idolatry leads to confusion. We see it in the text here this morning. 
it absolutely leads to, to, to confusion. They're protesting. Now, some of you have seen, if you've ever driven to work, you've seen people with picket signs, right? We want more, you know, increase our wages, increase. Well, now everybody got $15 an hour, so. But there you are, people picketing, you know, uh, against their greedy corporatist uh, employers that are not paying them sufficiently. And there you see them protesting and so on and so forth. I'm not sure if this is it, but I can imagine that I know it's not an apple to apple comparison, but the point is that they are protesting. They're, they're, they are being affected. And these men, these skills, Demetrius and his, um, the other tradesmen have their pocketbooks being, pocketbooks being affected. So much so that they have no other, their response is simply to start yelling, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's how they respond. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The mob forms almost instantly. They're protesting, and there they are. One of the things about protesting, which is your right to protest, right? You have the right to go ahead and say it. You have, if you disagree with something, you can go ahead and protest. Now, how you do it, that's a different story. Okay? You can protest, but do it in a way that honors the Lord. But you know what's interesting? Today, what's the buzzword? Misinformation. You hear it everywhere. Misinformation. Joe Rogan. Highest podcast in, on, on Spotify. Spotify bought it for $100 million for his entire archive. Because he brings in listeners. But now, he's labeled as misinformation. And artists are saying, well, if you're not going to go ahead and deal with him, Spotify... You can remove my music from your streaming service. But the funny thing is, misinformation is not new. Just with the previous president, what was it? Fake news. It's the same thing. Because when we don't agree with something, what happens? We just label it as fake news and we dismiss it. Oh, that's misinformation. Right? And we want to go ahead and start protesting. It's misinformation. It's fake news. It's fake news. Why are we stopping and listening to what's going on? Right? And this is where we are today in our culture. You can't have a conversation. Try having a conversation about this. People, people are bent, and, and, people, and, and, and people will not, you know, will not have even a civil conversation because, again, the, the tension that exists. And that is confusion. That is confusion disorder um, that, that we're seeing in our times. Now, 1 John 5, 19 through 21, this is what he tells us. He says, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's the premise. We know this. Not that I think the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. We know that we are from God, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he ends with this sentence. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols because to go down that road as a believer is one of the outcomes is confusion. And then you end up saying, I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what to believe anymore. Do I believe my parents and what I've been hearing from my pastor and my church or do I believe my college professor who has been, you know, pushing on whatever particular agenda it might be. 
because institutions now don't teach us to think, right? They're there to go ahead and give you their thoughts. And this is what you ought to do and see. Not all of them, but a majority of them. And this is why we say here, people, when you come to church, put on your thinking caps. Don't leave them out there. Don't leave them in the car. Bring them here. Because we have something that's way more precious, better than what you could ever learn in a college setting. Better than you can ever learn in any university. You have truth in your hands. And that's what we're seeing. And that's what we look to proclaim. So Jesus is truth. Anything that doesn't come from Him is a counterfeit. Period. Anything that is not in conjunction, that does not agree with Scripture, is a counterfeit. If I can kind of illustrate this in a way. Have you guys ever seen the Antique Roadshow? I don't know, maybe, maybe not, but the Antique Roadshow. It's basically this show where people come in, they go to these conventions, right? And wherever they are, because it's a roadshow, so they're like in different cities. And people come in with, with their vase from their great-great-grandfather, and they come in with this artifact from, you know, the, the Civil War. And they'll come in with all these things and a painting, whatever was handed down to them. And they sit down with this person. And this person will start looking at this, at this artifact, and they start looking at it, turning it upside down. Now, to me, I can't tell you how many times I've looked at it and said, oh, that's legit. That is legit. They have money right there. They've been sitting on a gold mine that entire time. And then you look at that person that looks at that little house and say, yeah, but see right here the signature? They would have never signed that way. And then you just hear, you just see, because the whole time they're building it up, the people are listening, and they're like, yeah, yeah, now tell me how much it is. You can tell, like, they're seeing it, right? Tell me how much it is. Tell me how much I have. And then they're let down. You're like, are you serious? Over that? Because they're experts. They know they're experts either on this particular person or this particular time period, so they know what that would have looked like. Are we familiar with the truth? Do you know what truth looks like? Do you know who truth is? Because you're going to have a very hard time identifying counterfeits if you yourself do not know where you stand. Then the moment you sit down in that college setting and that college professor tells you, your religion is hogwash. Why do you believe in this God? Yeah, I guess so, right? They must have a point. I mean, they just gave me like 20 scientific facts that prove that God doesn't exist, right? So it must be true. And there you go. Now you're wrestling. I encourage my kids. I, I enjoy that at least they're, you know, in their, in their particular school setting, they're reading things that aren't necessarily Christian. Because it's necessary. John Lennox, uh, an apologist, some of you know, mathematician Oxford, he says... Love it. My parents, I was blessed that my parents constantly gave me literature that wasn't just Christian. They exposed me to an abundance of literature that wasn't Christian. Because that is where you start seeing. Where is the coherency in what people are thinking and what they're saying? Because otherwise you're just going to be little... Cotorras, we say cotorras, right, in Spanish, where you're saying you're just parroting anything that was said. You repeat everything that was said by your parents and that you heard in Sunday school, and then the moment your professor de debunks it, hmm, well, oh, I never thought about that. Know your Bible. Know your Bible. Know your scriptures. Know truth. 
Know who Christ is. I'm not here to lie to you. And neither is God. Because there's no darkness in him. He's not the author of sin or evil. And so not only do they yell, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, but they also take Paul's companions. And they have two there, Gaius, and, uh, who's from Derby, and Aristarchus, who's from Thessalonica. I know it doesn't say it, but we're going to see it later on in, a, in the next chapter, where it actually tells us that Aristarchus is from Thessalonica. But they're Macedonians at the end of the day. And you have these Asiarchs, friends of Paul. These Asiarchs are prominent leaders. They were kind of like these high officers there. They're friends with Paul. And they're telling him, hey, don't go there. Don't go there. What to me is fascinating here is that in the midst of this confusion, Paul is ready to go in. He's like, let me at him. Not in a bad way, right? But he's ready to go in and face the mob. Paul wasn't like, he's like, well, what is this, a mob? I mean, he was just in Athens and, and Mars Hill. Dragged him there. Paul knew what it was to be in front of a large crowd. And Paul knew very well what it was to defend the gospel. Paul had no qualms whatsoever in defending Christ, in putting Christ on the pedestal and redirecting. He knew that he might get beaten up, and he has been in the past, where he's been dragged out of the city. And what was his response back then? Let me go right back. Because that's Paul. Because the gospel, the gospel is that important. Because it's truth. It's what changes lives. It's what, it's what God has communicated to us through His Word, this gospel, from beginning to end, right? If we're reading Scripture, that's what we want to see, the story of redemption unfold. This is just, what we're seeing here in this right, it's just a consequence of what happened in the garden. That's all it is. It looks different, but it's the same thing. Confusion. Adam and Eve did not leave the garden more knowledgeable. They actually left in a worse position. God still took care of them. But they weren't in the same position. God was walking with them. They were walking with God in the garden. And now they're outside the garden. Now more knowledgeable. Because that's what the enemy Oh, you'll be like God. Psych. No, you weren't. And, and, and here we are dealing with all this mess. Paul doesn't, he doesn't shy away. And again, we see here, not only that Paul willing to go forth with the gospel, but he has these friends that say, Paul, come back here. Come back here. We know. We know where your calling is. Don't go there. We'll go. I look at that and I just, and and I'm floored. Because I see it here. I see that kind of love. Even toward me. And I can only speak for myself, and I'm sure many of you have seen it. But me. When someone can say, I got this. You go take care of your family. And I wasn't trying to tell this, but I will say it. Last week, I was supposed to be up here. Have a new job, task, responsibilities at work. Been learning curve for me. And out of nowhere, my brother, how are you doing for the sermon this week? I didn't prompt him. No one prompted him. It must have been the Holy Spirit that led you. But that's where it was. And I told him, you know, this is it. He goes, Freddie, take your family out. Take your family out. Spend time with your kids. And that, 
And I told him, it's an oasis for me. It's an oasis for me. Because I'm not afraid to be here, but that's what ministry is. And I know my brother is like, oh, but that's the heart. Because I want to capture the heart. It's not, I, I get it, it's not about my brother, I wouldn't, but it's the heart the Lord has given to, to be able to do that. Same thing with Victor. Freddie, I got Sunday school, don't worry about it. Because that's what ministry is. Friends that you have locked arms with and saying, the gospel, I'm ready. Keep preaching. I don't have to be doing everything or a hundred things in the church. This is not a one-man show. I've said it before, right? This is the last point. This is not about one. It's about one man, but it's not about me. I'm not the man. It's Christ. And so I'm not here to hog a pulpit because I'm the one, I'm the pastor, and I must be the one speaking all the time. I'm sorry if if that's what you expect. But it's not going to happen. Because I think you're equally blessed and I'm blessed to hear different voices from this pulpit preaching the same gospel. Just like in a, you have a chorus, you have those that are singing alto, those that are singing soprano, those that are, they're all singing different notes, they're all singing the same song. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're preaching the same Christ. Beloved, you don't have to be, you don't have to wait to have an official title in ministry to start serving. You don't have to wait to go to divinity school or seminary to use the gifts and the talents that the Lord has given you. Use them now while it's still called today. Come to the Lord while it's still called today, right? If the Lord has redeemed you, use them today. See how you can be plugged in. My son may not be able to teach Sunday school, and again, it's not just him, but this is his ministry. Seems like an insignificant thing until you're up here and you're you're parched and you need a cup of water. I'm not using my kids to use them as an example to like, hey, look at them, they're model kids. That's not the point. If that's what you're thinking, you missed it. Because the point is that we all have, at whatever age, you all have a capacity, if you are in Christ, to use your gifts and your talents for the Lord. And the finally, the final point, what's the ultimate consequence? What's the ultimate consequence? After two hours of chanting, Great is our, think about it, two hours, chanting, yelling. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The crowd is silenced through a town clerk. Beloved, there's no amount of chanting. No amount of chanting that's ever going to suppress the truth. Truth will prevail. There is no government institution that prevails. There is only one institution that will prevail till the end. And that's the church. Amen. Because that's the only one that Christ has said, not even the gates of hell will prevail against her. Beloved, if you're in Christ, you're the church here this morning. It's not this building. It's not these four walls. It's not the newly painted fellowship hall. You are the church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against you in Christ. So let the people yell. Let the people scream. And I specifically enjoyed the way... And look at this observation. Tom always says, like, these guys have not blasphemed. They haven't said anything. Their character was intact. Their character of Gaius and Aristarchus was... 
They're above reproach. So much so that they saw that. It says, they haven't done anything. We'll speak truth. But we're not here to raise a commotion and, and, and get this and start throwing rocks back at you. We're not about that. But we will proclaim truth. And that is what we see. And that is, a, and that is an observation that all of us must make. What is your character? Again, Victor talking about it this morning, right? In Sunday school. Are you the same person that walks out of that door here this morning? When you go back to work? When you go back to school? Is it the same person? Or are you another person? Because that's what it boils down to, is your character. Don't let your good be spoken evil of. Be above reproach. That doesn't just go for the pastor. That goes for anybody who identifies as a disciple of Christ. Be above reproach. That when they talk about you, they can, they can see Christ. And Genesis 3 is all about that. Adam chose self over God. That is the crux of this whole situation. And ever since came a, a crash course in order to obtain and return to that order and peace that existed in the garden. History has been longing to return to that place and hasn't been able to. Just look at your history books. I know no one likes history anymore. But read your history books. Look at all the battles. Look at all the atrocities that have happened throughout history. It doesn't change. It's the same thing and it's going to continue until the Lord returns. And so we live in times of these confusion. And science tells us that chromosomes, at least they use the, t- the chromosomes to determine your sex. Male and female. Obviously, God already had told us that, but scientists are agreeing with what God had already done and said, you know, in Genesis... But now today, it doesn't matter. There's no amount of science that can ever convince you to tell you, hey, you're male. Eh, I, don't, I don't feel like it today. I'll be whatever I feel like being. Psychology has absolutely messed up. We're a, we're a society that thinks with our hearts. Rather than standing on truth. Again, know your Bibles, know truth. Fascinating book. If you want to read one, read uh, Carl Truman, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. You'll see quickly how we got. And that, and that book is for the church, by the way. It's not for the secular world, coming from a Christian historian, you know, telling the world, hey, this is what you need to believe. It's actually for the church. Because it is through that book that you start seeing how did we arrive where we are today. It wasn't that. Another similar book, Francis Schaeffer. How then shall we live? How should we then live? Sorry. How should we then live? You'll see the moods throughout history changing. The Enlightenment period. And then you get humanism. And now humanity is the ultimate center. It's the point, right? It's the purpose. It's the pinnacle of society. You can't say anything against it. You'll have a John MacArthur sermon being banned on YouTube. You guys heard some of that, right? Well, why? Because again, you're speaking against the very things that society deems as unacceptable. Uh, well, that they seem as acceptable and you to speak against them are, is unaccepting to them. We will not allow you to speak against LGBTQ 
fácil. No. It's unacceptable. And so here we deal with idolatry and we come, but this is the ultimate consequence. When you displace God and you put man at the center, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get confusion. You're going to get rioting. It just takes different shapes. It comes in wars. It comes in battles. People trying to power. Now you're talking about Russia and, and the Ukraine and what's going to happen there and the tension that's happening there, right? It's going to continue happening. But verse 38 is very key here. Verse 38, and I'll, and I'll close with this. If, there, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Beloved, as I'm reading that, I'm just thinking to myself, Beloved, we're going to render an account one day. You and I are going to render an account before the living God one day. Let that sink in for a second. You're going to be standing before the living God, giving an account for your life. Kids, you will be standing before God. And you're not going to have mommy and daddy there to quote scripture with you. If you're standing before Him and you think that you're going to be pointing to your works and that God is going to somehow say, you know what, I saw that. You weren't like my son, but hey, it was good enough. Good enough doesn't cut it. Good enough doesn't cut it. Because what's needed is perfection. And only Christ was perfect. And that is what communion is about. That I, in my imperfect state, I as a sinner, there's a perfect one that took my sin upon himself and in exchange gave me his righteousness that was acceptable before the Father. If you cast yourself upon the toning sacrifice of Christ, of Jesus, you will be saved. You don't need to fear that day. I went quoted last week. Hebrews 10.31. By the way, it was, rumor has it that there was not a single sleeping head last week. (laughs) Not a single eye was, I think Edwin is the only one that had full attention from everyone last week. (laughs) But Hebrews 10.31, he quoted, if you remember this, he said, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, right? It is a fearful thing. If you're not in Christ. Don't depend on your works. But here's the good news. For those that are in Christ, you don't have to fear. You don't have to fear that court. Did you know that? You don't have to fear that court of judgment. For us, instead, we look forward to entering the court of the King, of the Savior. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. 
Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You can enter his courts with thanksgiving. Because to us, in Christ, he is a father. He is a king, and we have a savior. That is the joy of entering his courts. Not to be judged, because one was already judged on our behalf. Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tent of wickedness. There's a better court, beloved, in Christ. But it's only in Christ. If you're not in Christ, beloved, what awaits you is a court of judgment. The good news is you don't need to wait to repent and turn to Christ. You can do so today. Look to Christ. Say, Lord, I believe everything. I may not understand everything, but I believe what you have said in your word to be true. And I cast myself solely upon you. Not on myself, not on my works, on you. And as a child of God, yes, take inventory. Examine your idols. Examine the idols that you have justified, that I have justified in my own life. This is what we ought to do now as we enter into this time of communion. Examine your heart. Let the Holy Spirit show you the idols of your hearts. Let the light of Christ shine into those rooms in your heart that you close and don't want anyone to know where you keep your skeletons. Let the Holy Spirit work. And what's amazing is that your Heavenly Father will show you. And out of that, you can thank Him. And you'll be able to enter His courts with thanksgiving. Yes, sexual immorality is not the unpardonable sin, and neither is idolatry. It's it's not the unpardonable sin if you are in Christ. That is the key in Christ. Apart from Christ, you're on your own. And you do not want to be alone before the living God who's holy and just and thinking that you were just good enough. Because when you compare yourself to what Christ did, kept the law, obedient to the end, He was the perfect sacrifice. He was the atonement for our sin and our transgressions. When you consider Him, everything changes. Everything changes. So look to Him, beloved, as you meditate and as you take inventory of your life.